From the world-famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Daniel Sellerson. D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra. Yeah. And the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Daniel Sallerson. Hello and welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Sallerson filling in for Sean Kelly, who is en route to the Mile High City, where the Pelicans will begin their three-game road trip against the Denver Nuggets tomorrow night. Unfortunately, the Pelicans lost their second straight game last night, falling to the Kings 102-97. The bright side was the Pelicans finished the month of March with a 9-7 record, which included a five-game winning streak, the longest in almost three years. Before I get into the particulars from last night's game, here is a highlight recap of the Pelicans versus the Kings. McCollum feeds block left, Cousins again. Spin shoots a fader over Steams, but you got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's, he, he looks like Carl Malone out there all of a sudden. That thing barely moved the bottom of the mm. net, and it was a fadeaway. It was a tough shot. Steamer played him pretty well. Rivers bounce pass to Withy, elbow right, drives on Cousins, puts it up on a bank and in. A gliding lay-in for Jeff Withy, who has six. And just like the last time Withy made a big-time move from 15 feet out, Michael Malone calls timeout. Cousins throws it up top. McLemore for three. No good. Evans touches the rebound with one hand. Evans saves it off the baseline. Lob to the rim. McCollum underhand scoop and an alley-oop dunk for Ben McLemore. And the Kings have a renewed bounce in their step. They lead by six, and Monty Williams calls timeout. Davis. Cutting to the top of the key. Slips the screen. Catches left of the lane. Skip pass quarter right. Morrow for three. Pow! Right in the kisser. Again, it's Anthony Morrow. He's got 15. The Pelicans have cut it to four. McCollum sideline right. Goes over a screen by Cousins. Shoots in the key and hits. Ray McCollum now, 7 of 16, has 18 points. And the rookie from Detroit runs the Kings lead up to eight. So eight more games to go for the Pelicans. Five of them come on the road. We have a good show for you today. Thomas Morstead stops by Studio B to talk about his busy offseason in the community. And we'll talk about what he's doing this week for his What You Give Will Grow Foundation. Also, we'll start our tour around the NFL leading up to the draft in May. Of course, the Texans have the number one pick for now. And we'll start our tour in Houston where ESPN.com's Tanya Ganguly previews what Houston might do next month in the draft. So Thomas Morstead and Tanya Ganguly later on in the show. But up next, we'll recap last night's Pelicans game and hear from head coach Monty Williams and guard Anthony Morrow. As one Entergy customer to another, I have a tip for you. Download the free Entergy app. If my power goes out, I check the app. The outage maps let me know what's happening and when to expect my lights back on. It also makes it easy to pay my bill and manage my account all right from my smartphone. Download the app today or visit EntergyApp.com for more information. Giving me control in the palm of my hand, that's the power of people. Entergy. 
There's no better time to join your Pelicans as we take flight. All-star Anthony Davis is taking his team to the next level, and the Pelicans are soaring to new heights. 2014-15 season tickets are on sale now and start at less than $300, with lower bowl options as low as $37 per game. Season ticket benefits include the best seat locations, discounts on concessions, and much more. Take flight with the Pelicans. For more info, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. This is Pelicans guard Anthony Morrow, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Anthony Morrow did have a nice game for the Pelicans, but it wasn't enough as the Pelicans fell to the Sacramento Kings last night, 102-97. to Let's go ahead and hear from Anthony Morrow as John DeShazer caught up with him in the Pelicans locker room following the game. You guys have been able to build up some momentum off at home, three straight wins against playoff teams. They're able to kind of take a little bit of that away from you. What were they able to do that was so successful? Uh, cousins, man, basically. You know, he draws so much attention, obviously. Uh, probably the best center in the NBA, in my opinion. But um, he's had a great, uh, just a great effort from him. But I think my guys really, really worked hard. Um, he just, like I said, he put a lot of pressure on us. We couldn't really bounce back from the first quarter and uh, in the third. But, you know, as a team, we just got to bring more energy from top to bottom. Well, some of that, they were able to win some physical categories on the boards and in second chance points. Was a little bit of that, you know, just them kind of being, you know, a physical presence? I mean, I don't think it's a, you know, uh, a secret or anything. You know, we don't have a whole lot of girth, but, you know, we we, we have we, we got to bring energy from top to bottom to make up for that. So uh, I just think that, you know, I think they took some of our uh, physicality away. But, uh, you know, we got to bounce back tomorrow. We got another game. Can't be worried about this one. Just got to watch the film tomorrow and get back to work. You know, you were able to score, you know, 20-plus points for the third time in four games. You said it's all about opportunity for you. Do you feel like those opportunities are coming your way more lately? Yeah, you know, I, I thank God for the opportunities. Um, my teammates finding me, setting great screens for me. Um, Austin and Tyreek, you know, they get in that paint. And B-Rob as well, and they draw so much attention. Uh, AD as well, you know, they finding myself and Darius and Luke and those guys. I'm just knocking shots down. Um, but just got to continue to work, get back in the gym tomorrow, and get ready for uh, Denver. Now, you talk about Denver, um, buckling down for Denver. What do you guys have to do to kind of be successful there? Difficult place to play. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it probably feel like they owe us one after the last game. But um, we got to go up there and compete. That's what we do. That's what we've been doing. Not worrying about anything else. Just going up there and fighting, just like we've been doing all season. Anthony led the Pelicans with 23 points. He was one of three players in double figures. Anthony Davis had 22 points and eight rebounds, and Tyreek Evans scored 15 points on 7 of 15 shooting. Pelicans outshot the Kings last night 49% to 48, but rebounds and second chance points hurt the Pels. The Kings out-rebounded New Orleans 47 to 30, which led to 22 second chance points for Sacramento compared to the Pelicans' four. Also, the Kings starters led by DeMarcus Cousins outscored the Pelicans starters 96 to 54. Cousins scored a season-high 35 points and grabbed 14 rebounds in the win. Here's what head coach Monty Williams had to say after last night's game. We just didn't have a great level of sustained effort tonight. Um, our bench came in and gave us great effort. Uh, Austin picked up full court. Amo was uh, really good knocking down shots and playing defense tonight. But um, to start the game in the third quarter, uh, defensively, 29 points and 27 points, that, that's not our team. We didn't have that scrappiness that we've been playing with. Um, and in order to have a chance to win with the, the guys we have. We have to play with that level of energy that gives us a shot to compete, especially on the defensive end. 
were the Kings fueled by the physicality of the game tonight? I think so. I think they um, were putting their hands on us um, in a way that had us on our heels a little bit. Um, but the rebounding, you know, they, they wanted the ball more than we did on shots. Some of the bounces didn't go our way, but a number of them were just uh, they wanted the ball more, and um, they were physical all night long. Family, the second chance opportunities in the business, real telling standard. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, out rebounded us by 17 and uh, 15 offensive rebounds. So, uh, you know, we don't have one guy in double digits tonight uh, rebounding, and typically we have somebody, you know, 10, 14. You can't put it all on AD every single night, um, but our you know, Lexi and Greg didn't have a good night rebounding the ball. Just the difficulty in stopping Cousins. Yeah, he's a tough cover. Um, a number of times we had double teams down there, and he just bulled right through the double team and got to the basket. A couple times off the dribble tonight, attacking the basket, and then he got 12 free throws. So he had a good night. Another good example of just how different NBA teams are in this league. I mean, Sacramento is usually a team that can score lights out, not getting much defense, but tonight they show a real physical sign. Yeah. Two teams unable to adjust to. Well, we. They, were, they have some guys who can put the ball in the hole. You know, DeMarcus and Rudy uh, can obviously do that, but um, you know, they, we felt like if we competed at a high level, we'd have a better chance than we did. I mean, it was a one-point game, and we just had a mental breakdown. We go under a screen, Rudy pops out for a three. It's a four-point game, and we never got it back after that. What about McCallum? He's a guy who just started recently for them, I think 10 fourth quarter points. And, and, uh... He's pretty good. I mean, he was defensively sound tonight. He knocked down big shots that you didn't expect him to knock down. He was pretty good. So the Pels look to get back on track tomorrow night when they take on the Denver Nuggets at the Pepsi Center. When we come back, we turn our attention to football. Thomas Morstead joins me in Studio B next on the Black and Blue Report. Every year, people whose statistics say would die from a serious health problem come to Auctioner and live. To us, nothing proves quality more than saving a life no one else could. In fact, on average, statistics say patients who come here are more likely to survive than at other hospitals in the state. Incredible outcomes aren't just happening at one hospital either. Seven of the top hospitals in the state for survival rates are Auctioner. We're also Louisiana's only hospital ranked by U.S. News & World Report in eight different specialties and number one in the country by Care Checks for liver transplant. It's no wonder people from all over the world come here. A higher quality of care, one more reason to choose Auctioner. And with hospitals and health centers all over the region, connecting is as easy as finding the Auctioner name. Learn more about why quality matters at auctionerquality.org. Auctioner, healthcare with peace of mind. Hardwood, hardball, and hard knocks. <gasps> this is the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Our next guest might be the only Saints player so far to visit Studio B more than once. Thomas Morstead joins me now. And Thomas, last time you were in here, uh, you were getting ready for Mardi Gras in February. Since then, it's been a pretty busy offseason for the Saints and yourself. So how has the offseason been since we last talked? Uh, I would say very eventful. Yeah, uh, I've had a lot of fun. Um, Personally, Mardi Gras, uh, St. Patrick's Day, lots of good stuff going on. And, and obviously for the team, we've had a lot of moving parts. So it's been an interesting offseason, to say the least. 
Now, what's cool about your offseason is how active you've been in the community. Uh, first, your hair looks a little different than the last time I saw you participated in St. Baldrick's Day. So just talk about that experience a little bit. Well, it's second year in a row I did it. Uh, I didn't have the super long hair to chop off this year, um, so I grew my beard out for like two and a half months, three months. And um, and it's all for a great cause. They're doing it's fun. It's a fundraiser for uh, for uh, pediatric cancer research, and um, I think we ended up raising about one hundred and ten thousand dollars, which That's is great. awesome. And um, you know, it's a, it's a great it's a great event. Like there is every week in New Orleans, there's always something going on, and and uh, so many people from the community came out to support it. So it was a great success. Now, this week, you have another busy week. Uh, you have teamed up with 52 businesses to extend the reach of uh, What You Give Will Grow initiative. First, let's talk about that initiative a little bit for some people that don't know about it. Well, I mean, I guess to keep it somewhat short, um, you know, I, when I first got drafted here, you know, I immediately thought, well, how cool is it to have this platform to, to be able to reach and, and uh, do some good things in the community? And, and the longer I lived here, in New Orleans, the longer I've been like, wow, I love this place, and so I want to do anything I can to uh, make it a better place to live because um, this is my ha- this is my home. So, um, anyways, I just feel like it's a responsibility and an obligation of players. Uh, you know, the fans buying tickets and coming to the games and supporting us, they pay our salaries. So, I feel like it's an obligation and responsibility to to uh, you know be you know fully in- engaged with the community and doing things that are gonna. That are going to benefit them, and and the thing we're doing this week with with 52 businesses is we're researching and trying to find out if if there's a way instead of having it as a fund at the Greater New Orleans Foundation, can we turn it into our into my own nonprofit, and and uh, with very lofty goals of making it uh, a zero cost foundation, so 100 percent of money raised would go directly right. to the cause, and uh, and we are I've been busier this week yeah. than probably any time in my life, but it's been really exciting, and I've been so encouraged by so many people i didn't realize um maybe how big of an impact i've had on certain people so it's been really neat to just meet people and see people that want to get involved so you had a press conference yesterday to kick off uh, the week of events just talk about uh where you're going to be going this week and how people can find out uh where the next stop is on your tour well they can find out all the stops on the tour by just going to what you give will com, and it's pretty easy just put your name and email in there and uh and you'll kind of be on the email list okay. for things that are going on. We're trying to keep some of it under wraps uh, just because it's fun to do. Yeah. And, um, um, but, you know, you'll be kept posted on that. And then while, while I'm at different events, you know, I'll kind of always be live updating people, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, uh, just letting them know where we're at. And if they want to join, they can come join. Now, can you give people a little bit of a hint or tell people where you're going to be today? Well, today we don't have much going on publicly. Uh, the big event that we have on, on uh, th- well, actually two events now. I'll be doing something with the WWE Red Carpet event. Oh, cool. And then, uh, and, but also we'll be doing um, uh, the crawfish, a craw- a crawfish deal on Ferret Street on Thursday evening late. So we'll, we'll, we'll put details out about that coming are you, up. Are you a big wrestling fan? Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a big enough fan to to know every person right. in the WWE, but um, growing up, definitely when it was on TV, mm-hmm. I would watch it, and uh, you know, I'm excited to hopefully get to meet some uh, cool people, and I just, one of the people I really want to meet is Hulk Hogan, I just want to see yeah. how big he truly is in person. <laughs> um, I know when he was in the Rocky movie, they listed him at nearly seven feet tall, and oh, wow. 390 pounds when he was in his, yeah. when he was in his heyday. 
which is enormous. So yeah. I just never seen anybody like that in real life, and I'd love to meet him. Yeah, well, let's uh, turn our attention to SMU. Uh, this offseason, you went to the SMU-LSU game in NIT. Now, first of all, I, I don't want to get you riled up here, but did you think SMU got robbed of a NCAA tournament bid? You know, I did. Uh, they didn't help themselves by getting knocked out of the first round of their conference tournament right. by a team that was not doing too well this year. Um, you know, there's always more you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I won't I won't go off, off the reservation on that, but... Um, <laughs> But you know, I thought they had a great season, and uh, it's been amazing how quickly Larry Brown's turned the turned the season right. around. And uh, the actually the way I got back was I was watching the LSU game at home, mm-hmm. and just seeing how rowdy the crowd was. And I'd heard different comments from like Coach Patino when Louisville played there, and some other coaches saying how crazy it was. And I used to go to the games, and there were like 300 people in the stands, uh-huh. and I was like, man, this is crazy. Like. I never thought I'd see it in my life, so I just booked a quick trip over there yeah. and went to go see the third round against Cal, um, and we we beat those guys on the last second uh, shot. Uh, Cam Jordan, if you're listening, <laughs> we beat Cal. And uh, so it was a really neat experience. We rushed the court, and uh, I got to meet Larry Brown, and I got to meet um, a whole bunch of other people that are in the, in the SMU athletic department. So it was pretty cool. So it seems like you bring some good luck to SMU when you go visit some basketball games and tonight they might need you. They play Clemson final four in the NIT Madison square garden, yeah. pretty big stage there. Yeah. You know, I thought about going to that game instead, but I just realized, you know, the, 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 uh, venue is going to be obviously pretty cool to play in Madison square garden. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, if there was going to be one game I went to, it was the one at SMU cause I wanted to see the you know, I want to see it full of SMU fans. Yeah. At who knows what the fans are going to be like up up in New York. So you're going to get a mix of all sorts of people. Did you fill out a bracket this year? Are you one of those guys? <laughs> uh, I filled out a bracket with my wife, uh-huh. and uh, done pretty good. Yeah. Um, we're not winning our little family pool, mm-hmm. but we're I think we're in second place. Okay. And um, you know, obviously with a seven and an eight seed. A little tough in the uh, in the final four. That is March Madness. That's yes, the epitome of it. So, is your champion still alive? Uh, Florida. Yes. Still okay. Alive. Yeah, but I'm sure 40 percent of brackets exactly. had Florida picked. Um, we we did pretty good. I I had Michigan State going, um, which they just lost, and uh, I had Louisville going. They lost to Kentucky, who may end up yep. winning it all. And uh, and then who was my other? Oh, I had Arizona, who just lost okay. to Wisconsin. Yeah. So they. All those guys made decent runs. Yeah. So it was, it was a respectable bracket. Absolutely. That's Thomas Morsed, punter for the Saints. You can also check out his initiative, whatyougivewillgrow.com. Be sure to follow him all week on Twitter as well to keep up with all the events to go along with this initiative. Thomas, thanks for stopping by Studio B. All right. Who dat? Absolutely. When we come back, we'll start our series leading up to the NFL draft. We will effort to talk to each team leading up to May 9th. The Houston Texans will start us off. We'll hear from ESPN.com's Tanya Ganguly next. Hey there, what you having? Um, what kind of specials do you have today? Well, tonight we're doing $2 benzene and tonics, $4 lemon arsenics, and $5 beryllium bombs. Wait, what? Those don't sound like drinks. They sound like types of poison. Well, it's a fine line. Besides, this is a smoky bar. What do you think we're all breathing in right now? Uh, I don't know. Nicotine? Listen, I'm going to hook you up. You're not really living until you've had a formaldehyde martini. Yeah, I'm going home. Secondhand smoke does more than just stink. 
It costs Louisiana thousands of lives and contains dozens of harmful chemicals that lead to things like emphysema, heart disease, and lung cancer. Learn what's being done to protect all Louisianans in bars and gaming facilities at letsbetotallyclear.org. Want each show delivered right to your iPhone or iPad? Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Black and Blue Report. Well, today starts our tour around the NFL leading into next month's NFL draft. The Texans are on the clock right now, and yesterday afternoon, Sean Kelly caught up with Tanya Ganguly, who covers the Texans for ESPN.com, to talk about Houston's draft plans. All right, so we're getting ready for the NFL draft, and as I promised you yesterday, we'd start uh, from the top and the number one overall pick, and that's the Houston Texans. So I guess technically they're on the clock for sure, but as we get set to uh, learn more about who's going to take whom and everything else, we'll start with one of the best that cover the Houston Texans. That's Tanya Ganguly from ESPN.com. Tanya, how are you? Doing great, thanks. I appreciate you coming on with us, and uh, I can't believe we're already talking NFL draft, but it will be here soon enough. It's pushed back a week, or I mean a couple weeks, but um, it's it's time to start looking at maybe what the Texans might do. And I guess maybe the, the most obvious and easy question to ask you off the top here is, will the Texans keep the number one overall pick? Well, they're open to trading in. They've been talking about that for several months now. I think um, in the introductory press conference back in January to introduce Bill O'Brien as the head coach, the owner, Bob McNair, said that they're open to, to trading that pick, and I think the GM also said the same thing. Um, you know, it's not – you heard a lot of talk leading into this draft or during last season when people talked about which teams were, were in the running for the top pick, and most of it was that this isn't a great year to have the number one pick because there's no Andrew Luck in this draft. There's no consensus, can't-miss guy, and uh, so – the Texans are now. That might not be everybody's opinions, and I think that will probably work out for the Texans if there was someone who was really coveting a player. Tanya, if they stick to that thought, if they go ahead and trade away the number one pick, what what are you hearing about maybe the the terms or what they're seeking for the number one pick? Well, I don't. I mean, I, that I have no, I would have no idea on that. There, I don't think anything's concrete right now. Um, they certainly haven't been. You know, as as we get closer to to the to the draft, I think it will be able to figure out a little bit more about what the market is. But you can look at pre in the past. I mean, it costs a lot to move up. You know, the St. Louis Rams had the second overall pick in this draft, and they got that because they were really smart in the way they traded that second pick a few years ago for Robert Griffin III. No doubt. Um, when you talk about Bill O'Brien now taking over as the head coach, will uh, will he have a heavy hand in, in this decision? And, and what kind of a change does – does a guy like Bill bring to that team? They'll definitely have a big role in this decision. They always involve the head coach, uh, but you know this team is going to be—he's going to be coaching the team. They're going to need the kinds of players that his system that work well in his system. And you know, you talked about he worked with Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots, and he's not—he's made clear that he's not looking for the next Tom Brady, whatever that is. But there is a relationship that Brady has with Belichick, and that has with his coaches that I think is something that O'Brien would like. Tanya, when you look at the needs of a 2-14 and 14 football team, what, what comes to mind first? Well, they need a quarterback. Um, they, they aren't, who the starter is going to be right now is totally up in the air. Um, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who they added in free agency, a veteran. 
I don't think that they want him to be the starter. He said that his role hasn't been defined to them, but I think that ideally he'll be a mentor for a younger guy coming in. But do you start that younger guy right away? I don't know if you do that. So quarterback is a big need. They have a lot of needs, though. You know, they've they've kind of revamped their defense a little bit. There are going to be at least four new starters. On the defensive line, there will be two two out of the three positions will be new starters. They just cut safety Daniel Manning, so they'll have a new starter there. They and they uh, they signed a safety um, last week, so that might be how they handle that. But they can always use a pass rusher, and I think that's another another way to look at this in the draft. Tanya Ganguly with us from uh, ESPN.com covering the Houston Texans. Tanya, before I let you go, whether whether it's the right thing or not, I'm curious as to know. Uh, if you have a gauge of what Houston Texans fans want or need, do they do they need a big name here uh, in May, or are they smart enough, I guess, to realize that maybe multiple needs can be met if they do go ahead and trade away the number one pick? Well, I think they they definitely understand that, but there's there are some big names that catch people's eyes. You know, Javion Clowney is one of them. Johnny Manziel, the local kid, well, sort of local kid. Uh, is another one. There are a lot of there's a lot of A&M, Texas A&M fans in Houston. It's only 90 minutes away, and those there's a lot of people that would really love to see Manziel here. They just because of how exciting he's been, and and uh, those people really think that if he goes somewhere else and succeeds, that'll be a tough thing for the Texans to overcome. Yeah, there's no doubt. And if how it all how it all shakes out, I I don't know at this point, but. Um... Any other thoughts that we should maybe be aware of with regard to the Texans? Well, I forgot to mention one position when I talked about mm-hmm. their needs. They have, they do have another offensive need, um, and that's that offensive tackle. They have a left tackle, but they've been struggling to figure out what to do at right tackle. So it'll be interesting. You know, there are some pretty good tackles in this year's draft, and that would be another interesting thing to look at. Yeah, and and teams are always looking for that, aren't they? I mean, that's. I, you know, that, that position isn't the most glamorous, but it sure does garner a lot of attention, and it's it garnered money now, too. Yeah, it's both right and left tackle. I mean, you had two teams last year that drafted that drafted offensive tackles with the first and second pick and then made them right tackles. Yep, there you go. Uh, Tanya, thank you very much. Uh, I hope you have a little bit of a break before we really get going again with the draft and then OTAs, minicamp, it, it's almost a 12-month calendar now for the NFL. It is. That's Tanya Gangule with ESPN.com covering the Houston Texans. They have the top overall pick. Don't forget our draft coverage will continue. These previews will come your way each and every day right here on the Black and Blue Report. Thanks, Sean and Tanya. Tomorrow on the show, we head to St. Louis where the Rams have the second pick in the draft, and we'll talk to Howard Balzer to find out what the Rams might do with their two first-round picks. When we come back, I'll wrap things up on the Black and Blue Report. Your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Wednesday, April 9th, when the Phoenix Suns come to town. It's Entergy Coastal Restoration Night at the Smoothie King Center, where the first 5,000 fans in attendance receive a Pelicans car charger, courtesy of Entergy. Tip-offs at 7 p.m., with the Pelicans Fest pregame block party getting underway at 5.30 featuring live music, interactive games for the kids, and more. Tickets start as low as $11 and are available now at pelicans.com. I'm Pelicans forward Jason Smith. Every day, one in six Louisiana households are at risk of hunger. I'm attorney Morris Spark, and every day, Second Harvest Food Bank helps thousands of our local neighbors in need. 
That's why I'm teaming up with the New Orleans Pelicans to ask you to join us in the fight against hunger. Text the word PELICANS to 80088 to join the Second Harvest family, and you will also have a chance to win autographed Pelicans gear, floor seats to a game, and much more. Join us, because together we can solve hunger. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Good show today. Our thanks to Monty Williams, Anthony Morrow, Thomas Morset, and Tanya Ganguly. Another good one tomorrow as Sean Kelly will bring you the show from Denver, Colorado, where the Pelicans start a three-game road trip against the Denver Nuggets. Scheduled to be on the show is Howard Balzer to talk about the Rams draft. We'll have sound from today's Pelicans practice. And, of course, it's a Wesley Wednesday, so David will join Sean in Colorado to preview the Pelicans-Nuggets game. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at BlackBlueReport, or you can follow me at D. Salerson. Well, that'll do it for today's show. Our thanks to all involved. And until tomorrow, I'm Daniel Salerson. Have a terrific rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.